0: Hey, this is Brennan, yourself from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning in to our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. A few weeks ago, I stumbled across an article about this man named Forrest Fenn. Has anybody ever heard of Forrest Fenn? Anybody? Oh, yeah, my friend who I told about this last week. Anybody other than that one person? okay. Yeah, so I find out about this guy. Apparently, this dude is a guy who lives in New Mexico, or lived, he's since passed, and he was a multimillionaire art and artifact collector. In fact, there's a lot of hate online about him for some of the stuff he has that probably should be in a museum, but that's another conversation for another day. About 10 years ago, this guy was bored, and he decided, you know what, I'm getting old. He almost died. He was uh, alive again, and so he thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put about $2 million worth of gold nuggets and doubloons and and gems and artifacts in a box. And I'm going to hide it somewhere in the wilderness in the United States. And he published a poem. And in the poem contained clues to where you could find this chest of treasure. This is a true story. Happened about 10 years ago. It's a good thing I did not read this article 10 years ago. (laughs) Because I probably would have gone treasure hunting and got a tad obsessed Turns out about 300,000 people over the last decade caught wind of Mr. Fenn and his hidden treasure and searched the United States all over trying to find this hidden treasure. In fact, there was about five people died in the wilderness looking for Forrest Fenn's hidden treasure. And there were dozens of people who were like air rescued all over the the wilderness in the United States. And turns out about uh, in 2020... Uh, Right around the time where Mr. Fenn died, a medical student found his hidden treasure in an undisclosed location. He would not tell people where he found it, and there's still a lot of mystery around it. But this is the box of treasure worth over $2 million that Forrest Fenn hid in the wilderness. And it was this crazy story about real-life treasure hunting. What is it about this that makes you, like, automatically interested? Now, some of you are like, I'm not interested. I'll, well, hang on. You will, uh, we'll get to you in a minute. Most of us find that somewhat interesting and like, wow, I, I wonder if there's treasure around me. Like, how is it, for instance, that the History Channel can have 10 seasons of the mystery of Oak Island <laughs> and literally find nothing? It's, it's just that mystery, and I think it points to something inside all of us that says we're we looking for something. There's value out there, I just have to find it. I think it has to do, the reason we're drawn to this... It has to do with the universal search we're all on. Now, some of you are like, look, man, there's a better way in this world to make $2 million than searching through the wilderness with a metal detector and a pickaxe. You may be right. However, I believe, and I think you'll find this to be true, every human being has a deep, innate sense of searching in their soul and this, this subtle conviction That there is treasure to be found somewhere, I just need to look in the right place. Every one of us have this sense. and You can find it in the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. You can hear it all over. And, And the problem I think all of us face, most of us in this world would say this. When it comes to the treasures that we find, a lot of them just don't satisfy. Has anybody ever obtained the thing that they were looking for and then realized it's not what you'd hoped? Like, ah, I got to find another dream. I got to find another treasure hunt. That's a problem. This is why oftentimes you'll see a lot of celebrities and rich people and people we wish we had their life crash and burn and flame out. It's like the, the Jim Carrey quote where he said, I wish everybody could get rich and famous so they'd realize it's not what they're actually looking for. That's a big problem for us That's over and over again we get looking for treasure and we find some things that we thought were going to be treasure and it just doesn't satisfy. And then we have this other problem too that what we do find that we do enjoy often doesn't last. And it's this problem of finding what we're looking for. This is what Solomon, King Solomon was getting at in the book of Ecclesiastes where he said, you know, God has set eternity in the heart of men. Modern people have said, you know, there's a God-shaped hole inside of your soul, and we try to fill it with everything. And Solomon himself said, look, I have obtained the highest of heights of human power and riches and experiences, and I have found that nothing satisfies me. It's all meaningless. It's this idea of a treasure hunt. You're on one right now. You are looking for something that will satisfy you. There is this innate insatiable desire and conviction that somewhere out there is something that will truly satisfy. Now, I bring this up because this helps us get in the right framework for what Jesus teaches us today. We are in a series, we are looking at the Gospel of Matthew, and we have been journeying together for almost two years, on and off, uh, through this Gospel and looking at these passages, this story, that is about Jesus. Matthew is a first-hand witness, an eyewitness testifier to what Jesus did. And the purpose of his book is to convince us that Jesus is the Messiah and that in him is life and salvation. And so we've been going week by week through this book, and we are about halfway through now. And we're at this section where Jesus teaches parables. Now, if you've been with us, we've been talking about this, a parable is a story that Jesus invented or, or made up to help us see something that we're not presently seeing. And uh, in, in the, the word parable actually means to lay alongside. So it's to give you another vantage point to look at something that you've been missing. Now, it's interesting. I was thinking about parables this week as I was preparing this message. And what a gift it is that Jesus actually gave us these parables. This is living scripture that he gave us. Think about it. He actually wants us to meditate on it, chew on it, and use our imagination to fill in the story because he knows that if you think about these things that I'm telling you, it's going to explode with truth. It's quite incredible. In a very real sense, these parables are like hidden treasures. That if you dig into it a little bit, you're going to actually strike gold. And it's been awesome as I've been looking at this one parable, one verse has blown up in my mind and heart, and I hope it encourages you today. Let's look at it. This is the parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus says this, talking about the kingdom. Let's bring it up on the screen. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Now let's take a few minutes. Let's just have fun with this. It's not going to get too heavy. It's not going to get dark. We're just going to take this parable and we're going to ask God, what do you want us to see in this? Jesus, why did you tell us this? And let's just try to use our imagination and see what we can see in this parable. So it's a parable, first and foremost, about what? The kingdom of heaven, yes. So Jesus is trying to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. Why? Because it's hard to understand. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around. It's it's like he's giving us a magic eye picture. You remember those magic eye pictures? Anybody like never get them? Me. I just walk by, I'm like, forget it. I'm not even going to see it. But some people say that if you look at the picture long enough, something begins to emerge. And that's what Jesus wants to give us here about the kingdom of God. He wants us to help us understand. So let's get out our mental digging tools and let's dig into this for a minute and have some fun and use our imagination and try to see what Jesus wants us to see. Now, where did he find the treasure? I've already got it circled. Let's say it. Together. Hidden in a field. Okay, so the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. Now, this is very important and loaded with meaning. Jesus doesn't specify what field, where it is, what location. He didn't give us like a geo, is it geocaching. He didn't give us a GPS coordinates. He didn't tell us, you know, if here's a treasure map and if you follow it along, it's in such and such a place at such and such a time. He didn't tell us, you know what, it's, it actually exists a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. He didn't say it's in Middle Earth. He didn't say a second star to the right straight on till morning. Where was it? It's just in a field. And this is important. The kingdom of heaven was found in this, again, very ordinary place. This man had not gone to some specific place. Jesus leaves it in general terms, giving us an abstract picture of a common, ordinary, everyday place that a guy was walking through. This is really important. Why? The first thing Jesus wants you to realize is heaven, the kingdom of heaven, is not some far away, somewhere, some when. But it can be found in ordinary, everyday places just beneath the surface. In other words, if you're a note-taker, here's how I would typify the first thing that I think this parable tells us. And it's this. Heaven is much closer than you think. That the kingdom of heaven is a reality that is much closer than you think. It is not far off. It is not hard to get to. Did you notice nowhere in the parable did Jesus say after a man took a long journey and he packed a bag and he had 40 sherpas and 10 donkeys and he's, he he kind of went he, he went across wild ranges of wilderness to get to the treasure it wasn't any of that it was just in a field just found it in a field in a normal place it wasn't on private property it was just out in an ordinary place, and that is really important. you got to get this picture. The kingdom of heaven was right there in an ordinary place. Very important. Now let's just talk for a second about the kingdom of heaven. For those of us who live here, like 21st century Canada, we sort of understand kingdom, but we don't think about kingdom a whole lot unless there's a coronation a couple of weeks ago, Right? We don't often think about kings and kingdoms. It's not part of our everyday life. And so let's just sort of back up and understand what Jesus means when he references the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's several things when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, first and foremost, I got three Ps for you and they're not on the screen, so you're going to have to listen. First and foremost, when Jesus references the kingdom of heaven, it's a place. It's an actual place. So that is important. So some of you think about heaven, you think about a place somewhere else. Well, that is actually true. The Bible tells us that there is this material plane, this, the earth, the universe, the solar system. And then there's the immaterial. And somewhere in the spiritual realm, there is this dwelling where God exists in his fullness. And where there is spiritual beings and that there is a place called Heaven, that is true. The Bible says that. So don't hear me today saying there's no place called heaven. There very much is. But heaven is also spoken of, not just as a place, but another P word, a power. Or let me say it like this, a government. It is a reality, a dominion that that expands beyond the geographic or spiritual geographic place of heaven. Stay with me. It's not just a place, but it's a power. It's a kingdom. What is a kingdom? Well, the kingdom is the unencumbered reach of God's will. Anywhere that God's will gets to be expressed is God's kingdom. So where isn't God's kingdom? Well, places where darkness rules. Oftentimes in our own hearts and our minds where we block the will of God. So the, so the kingdom of God, stay with me. I know this is like a rainy Sunday morning. We're doing some heavy lifting, but it's going to help. The kingdom is a place. The kingdom is a power. And the Bible talks about the kingdom as a person. Like fully embodied in a person. More on that in a minute. Now, some of you are like, you're, you're losing me. No, I'm not. I'm not. Think about the British monarchy for a minute. Think about, what's his name? King Charles. the guy with the thick hands uh, sitting on the throne think about this we call it the crown correct? hang with me Canadians we call it the crown the crown is a place there's land associated with the crown correct? I go fishing and catch nothing every year on crown land right? it's the crown it's a place it's the UK, it's the United Kingdom, it's the British Commonwealth, a place, yes? It's a power. The crown is a bench, the court of the king's bench. It's a, it's a power. And the crown is a person who embodies that power. Very similar, the same way, translate that over to the kingdom of heaven. It is a person, it is a power, it is a place. Now that you have that in mind, understand the kingdom of God as a realm According to this parable, this, as it pertains to our life, this realm can be experienced right now in your day-to-day ordinary life. What Jesus is trying to get you to do, all this explanation for this, what he's trying to get you to do is to turn and embrace the reality that the kingdom of heaven is actually not just some place out there, but it is a dominion and a power to be experienced right here. And that just beneath the surface, in ordinary places in your life, the kingdom of God can come bursting through if you're looking in the right way, that it can be experienced. This this is why Jesus' central message was not just believe in me so that you can be saved and go to heaven someday. That is very much part of the message, amen? Amen. Hallelujah. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and I will go to heaven someday to be absent from the body, to be present with Christ. But Jesus' central message was this. Repent. Repent, which means what? Turn. Look again. Look in a different direction. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So he's saying all around you right now, the kingdom of heaven is drawn near. You just need to look in the right way. You're looking at the wrong things, looking at this in the wrong way. You need to turn, repent, look again, and look a little deeper. Just beneath the surface is a kingdom reality. So now let's think about that with our boy, our treasure hunter, the guy who found the treasure hidden in a field. What was he doing? He found this this treasure in an ordinary place and he hit on something that was initially hidden to his sight. Just Use your imagination. What's the kingdom like? Well, it's this real present reality that if you'll just push beyond the superficial material hidden just beyond sight is this reality of the kingdom of heaven. So in every season, let me say this to you. What does it mean for you? It means like right now. In the season and circumstances you are in, in your ordinary mundane life or in the extraordinary highs and lows, the kingdom is at hand. That there is a reality of the kingdom of heaven. The king of heaven and his kingdom is right there wherever you are at any time. That's encouraging because how often do I feel like God's close over here but not over here? Or this season I felt very close to God and this season I felt far away. But if you take the scripture seriously, you believe what Jesus is saying here. Like the psalmist says, where can I go from your presence? You're everywhere. He can't unsee the fact that God is in all things and through all things and before all things and after all things. And his eyes have become open to the reality of the kingdom of heaven. So let me say it like this and we're going to move on to the next picture. The kingdom of heaven is near you. And it is closer than you think. And I would say, especially at times where it feels like it's far off, there is probably a hidden treasure somewhere that God wants to highlight for you. Just beneath the surface, if we can just open our eyes, let me ask it like this Are you obliviously passing by treasures? hidden in the fields that you are walking in all day, every day. That's the picture that Jesus is painting of a guy who found a treasure in an ordinary, everyday field. Let's keep going. Are you with me? All right. Let's keep using our imaginations. What else happened? Let's, let's, let's dive a little deeper. So he finds this treasure. Then what does he do? In his joy, so he realizes, oh baby, I have found something here. In his joy, he went and sold all he had. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure. He just finds this treasure in a regular, ordinary field. And he realizes something about it. And he freaks out in joy, celebration. And he goes and sells all he has. Now what is that trying to tell us? Like, buddy goes home. He, he tucks it away, and he's like, I'm going to come back for that. He goes home. He gets out his phone. He starts taking pictures of all his possessions. He goes on Facebook Marketplace and Kijiji and the Classifieds and Craigslist and MySpace, all of them. And he has a yard sale. He's got the balloons down on the telephone pole that says yard sale up here in this subdivision. And he is just liquidating everything. It's all for sale. What do you want? Name your price. I'm going to sell it. He sells all of his stuff. And buys the field. Now, why did he buy the field or why did he sell all of his stuff? Because he realized that that treasure was worth more than all of his possessions combined. That there was a value he discovered in the treasure that far outweighed and superseded all of the stuff that he had. And so all the stuff suddenly became really superficial and meaningless in light of the value of this supreme treasure. There's an old song that goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow. Stro- yeah, what's, what's my Ferrari? Yeah, make an offer. Right? Or maybe my, favorite, my favorite hymn, it's an old, uh, it's, an, it's an Irish, it's like an Irish remake. I can't really get the history, but it's like, be thou my vision. Anybody remember that, that song? It's my, like one of my favorite hymns of all time. Riches I need not, nor man's empty praise, you're my inheritance, thou in all ways, O oh, King of glory, my treasure you are. See, here's the th- second thing I would say that this is trying to tell us. Heaven is much better than you think. It's better than you think. This, this picture that Jesus is painting, it's conflicting values, isn't it? It's when he found this treasure, he realized this is worth so much more than that. Have you ever had something, like you ever replaced something with something else, like of supreme value? Like you used to cherish something, and then you got what was better, and all of a sudden that thing is not quite as important to you anymore. Well, that's what's happening here. That's what Jesus is getting at. He sold everything he had. And this is what the scripture tells us, that heaven is what is better. I was out for a walk uh, a couple weeks ago, and it's just walking my dog, and I think and I meditate a lot when I do that. And the thought, the scripture from Isaiah 66 just kind of came into my mind. It was a beautiful day, and I was just looking at the wonder of creation. And that line where where God says, The heavens are my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Just sort of landed in my spirit, and I started meditating on that. The heavens are my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What, What is a throne and footstool? Well, the throne and the footstool, they look alike, Correct. They match, likely, made by the same guy. However, the throne is much bigger and better and grander than the footstool, correct? He's like, I'm seated in the heavens. The heavens are my throne. The earth is my footstool. In other words, the greater of creation is the heavens. How often do we live believing that the footstool is the best it gets? Do you? I do. I remember growing up with this idea of heaven in my mind where I really didn't want to go to heaven. I just didn't want to go to hell. Correct? Anybody else grow up this way in church? But the idea of dying and, 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 ex- and experiencing the fullness of heaven was not something I wanted because my imagination couldn't go there and I had this myth in my mind that heaven was, was beneath or less than the things of the earth. I couldn't imagine that things could get better than my 12-year-old life. I had so much life to live. It was so incredible. Uh, A couple weeks ago at the Alpha Conference, one of the young people shared, uh, they were asking, you know, the kids that went to the Asbury Revival, they asked, you know, what were some of the takeaways? And one young man said, he goes, uh, for the first time in my life, I actually want to go to heaven. And he said, because I experienced the glory and presence of God, and I used to not want to go to heaven, but now I'm not afraid to die because I know if that's just a taste of what is in store, what I have to look forward to is way better than anything in this world. And that's really what Jesus is getting at here in this parable, that, that, that what is in heaven is better. we got to kind of burst the myth in our minds that heaven is just some place that you go when you die, and it is this eternal church service that never wraps up, the preacher's boring, and you just want to get out. Right? That's not it at all. Like the Scripture tells us that, that it's, it's beyond imagination. And you know what happens? Let, just, let me give you this today. When you believe that the kingdom of heaven is less than the things of earth, that's where we get into trouble. That's where idolatry and sin comes from. Read Romans 1. What is the root of sin? It's the belief that there can be something better found in this life than what comes from the life of God. And so if you believe that, that heaven and the kingdom of heaven is less than the kingdom of earth, that's where sin and dysfunction comes from. C.S. Lewis said it best. I, I, he often does, in my opinion. He said in, uh, in his little essay called The Weight of Glory, look, look how he puts it. He, says, he goes, um, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. So like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. What's he saying? He's saying the temptation in our lives is to settle for earth when we are promised the heaven's. It's like you, you are far too easily pleased. When we fall into sin, we are, we are literally like putting our faith and our hope and our worship in something that was never designed to truly satisfy. And, and the tragedy is God actually has infinite joy for us. And that's really the heart of what this is getting at. Jesus is like, Bursting our bubble of, you've seen all the riches of the world. You know, what what is your dream treasure? A big house beside the sea and nice cars or horses or a big retirement savings or whatever it is. And Jesus says, compared to the treasure of heaven, sell it off. It's nothing. Paul said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard or even entered into the imagination of a man What God has prepared for them. And that's, again, remember what what is the kingdom of heaven. Is it a someplace someday? Yes. But it is also a present reality. There is joy unspeakable that God has hidden for you right now in your life. Like this is not just something you need to read at funerals. Amen? Amen? This is something we need to live our lives with, this healthy expectation that God has hidden joy all over my life and all over this world and the fields that I walk through, and I need not settle for superficial stuff. This helps us understand when Jesus said, you know what, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. I, I, I feel like if it was me, I would say, you idiots. Jesus maybe is kinder than that. But don't don't rightly order the values of your life, that the things of heaven are worth far more. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians, like, God is preparing for us a glory that far surpasses and far outweighs all the stuff of this earth. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. If you get that treasure of heaven right, everything else comes into alignment and order. So what's Jesus saying with this parable? So he sold everything. So Jesus is telling us the value of the treasure he found is worth far more than earthly possessions and trinkets and stuff. Don't cling to it. Let's do, one, let's do a couple more observations here. Are you still with me? All right. So the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. We're doing a whole sermon off one verse. These things are explosive. I hope you go home this week and you meditate on it and let God speak to you things that I'm not saying today because he will. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and he bought the field. Now, he buys the field. Why does he buy the entire field? He goes and he buys the entire field. Now, at first glance, you might think because he wanted to, be, to have the right to the treasure. That would stand a reason in our society, wouldn't it be? Like if you find something on someone's property, you know there's oil under there. The first thing I'm going to do is go and make an offer for your property and not tell you that it's worth more than you think it is. Is that not what we do? Because the owner has the rights to what's on their land, not in first century Jewish culture. Rabbinic law said that treasure or what is found belongs to the finder, not to the landowner. If you own land and you did not realize that you had something on it and I was walking through and I found something, by rabbinic law, it was mine, not yours as the landowner. It belonged to the finder. So it doesn't make sense why this man would go and sell everything and buy the whole field if it was just to possess the treasure. That's what I always used to think. Well, he wanted to own the treasure, so he bought the field. I don't think that's what's going on here. I actually think this guy realized something about the field. That if there was treasure right there, it stands to reason that there's treasure probably over there and over there and probably right here. And so he gets in his mind, I'm going to not just sell everything, I'm going to buy the field and use a little bit left over, and I'm going to buy a Kubota backhoe, and I'm going to bring a metal detector and a pickaxe and a shovel, a spade, and I'm going to bring a big barrel, and I'm just going to start digging the crap out of this field. Because I'm suspecting that this field is littered with treasure, that's the picture I think Jesus is painting is this, that there is a lot more out there than you have currently experienced. Oh, man, that encouraged me this week. That, that Jesus doesn't want you to just come into one point of your life and to strike gold and think, ah, I found it. No, he wants you to just to see the gifts that he's given you as proof that there's probably more out there. That's amazing. I hope that awakens some wonder for some of you, especially you saints who have been following Jesus for a long time. He has a world of revelation and discovery and joy and transformation for you hidden just beneath the surface in every season of your life. The Bible tells us it is the joy of God. It is the joy of God to conceal a matter and the gift to kings to find them. God loves to hide treasure for us to find and so this man buys the field because he realizes this treasure is much bigger than I think it is. There's probably a whole lot more. If you're taking notes, write this down. Heaven is much bigger than you think it is. Look again. Expand your thinking. The kingdom of heaven is more than you think it is. There's, a, there's some language they used to use in the church. In fact, I think, I think they still do in some of the prayers in the Anglican church and Say, a a world without end. A world without end. The world that you and I live in, the material world, our bodies, our bank accounts, our relationships, they have expiry dates. But the kingdom of heaven is a world without end. And it is more substantive and weighty and expansive than this world. Think Think about the footstool and the throne. Not only is the throne bigger than the footstool or more valuable than the footstool but it's bigger than the footstool correct sometimes if i'm honest i think of the kingdom of heaven as this smaller reality that i have to tap into anybody like it's it's this like this hidden reality but but the the man in the field discovered something that When I found this treasure, it opened up a whole new world of possibility, and in fact, this kingdom of heaven is actually what is bigger, that what is in the kingdom of heaven is greater or more substantive than what is on the earth. Let me say it like this, heaven is much bigger than you think. I know this is abstract, and this is why Jesus gave us a parable so that we can imagine this and think about it, but heaven is much bigger than you think it is. Uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, I talked about this last week. I'd love you to read those. They're awesome. They're C.S. Lewis's little kid's book, but I'm reading it to my youngest son. And there's these seven books, and there's just this beautiful adventure of these kids experiencing, you know, Aslan, the Jesus character in this land called Narnia. It's, it's just a great story. It's a lot of fun. It's packed with meaning, and the gospel's in it. The last book is called The Last Battle, and there's this great conflict between good and evil and light and dark. And then, the last chapter of the last battle, all of the creatures in Narnia who believe in Aslan pass through this stable this little stable on a hill. They pass through it, and when they walk through the door, they find Aslan has been leading them in, and they step through this door, and it opens up this whole world that they hadn't seen before, and they start following Aslan, and he starts running, and they all start running after him, and he starts saying, come on, we're going further up and further in. And over and over again, he keeps saying, further up and further in. And the further they go in, the bigger they realize this world, this heavenly world is. And the last page has these cool quotes. I want to read them. You should really read it on your own sometime. But this is, this is like the, the end, so spoiler alert, this is how it ends. But if you know the gospel, you, you shouldn't be surprised. What? They go to heaven? Um, it says, Tyrion looked around again and could hardly believe his eyes. They'd walked through and they'd stepped through the, 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 the stable. There was the blue sky overhead and grassy country spreading as far as he could see in every direction. And his new friends all around him were laughing. It seems then, said Tyrion, smiling, that the stable seen from within and the stable seen from without are two different places. Yes, said the Lord Diggory, it's inside, it's inside is bigger than it's outside, The inside of the stable as you step through into this world is actually bigger than the outside. Yeah, said Queen Lucy. In our world, too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. It was the first time she'd spoken, and from the thrill in her voice, Tyrion now knew why. She was drinking everything in even more deeply than the others. She'd been too happy to speak. And then this is the last paragraph. And as he, Aslan, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at least they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read. Which goes on forever and in which every chapter is better than before. done and it's this beautiful reminder that the kingdom of heaven is a world without end and we get these little experiences that they're like uh, N.T. Wright calls them signposts that point us to the reality of heaven that we are all aimed towards and that what we have to gain and what we stand to gain forever and ever and ever with the king and his kingdom is far greater and it lasts forever and it goes on forever and we need not forget it. Sometimes it's important to read the end of the book. Amen. Like like the last chapter of our story, Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, which is chaos. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and their God. He will.'" Wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. We just need to reset our perspective, and I think that what Jesus is trying to help us see Like, here's the word I think the Lord is speaking to us as a church right now. There's more. Like, our guy thought there was more in the field. And I want to say over you, King's Church, there's more to discover. There's more to inherit. There's more coming. The best is yet to come if you are in Christ Jesus. And we should never stop the discovery process. We should be living our lives with a metal detector for the kingdom of heaven looking for little treasures that our Lord has hidden as little promises and reminders of our inheritance forever and ever and ever. This is what Jesus is getting at. Last thought, and I'm going to let you go. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. He bought that field. I don't think Jesus' intention... Uh, in this and I've already alluded to this but I don't think his intention in this was to get his original hearers to get up and just go start running around looking for fields where there might be buried treasure it should make you ask so where do I look where is the field and I think what this parable is, is trying to do Jesus in effect is saying you're looking at him you're listening to him Heaven is much closer than you think and is much more personal than you think. The kingdom of heaven is embodied in a person. It's not just a where or a when. It's a who. It's Jesus. Let me say it like this. Jesus is the field full of treasure. He is the treasure. He is the field full of treasure. Of infinite treasure. He is the way to obtain the treasure that you are longing for and searching for. You go to Him and discover what your heart truly longs for. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the alpha, the beginning, and the omega, the end. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am eternal life. I and the Father are one. He is the one who will rule forever, and his kingdom will be without end. The increase of his government and peace without end. He is the field. He is the treasure. You go to him, you will find hidden treasure galore. Jesus is literally the place of discovery, the person of discovery. He's the center of the universe. Colossians, read this this week. Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. You catching it? He's he's the intersection of all things made and the genesis of all things made. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. And he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. Where do we find the treasure? Look first in Jesus. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. There is nothing heaven has that is not fully in Jesus. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. There is nothing that heaven has that is not fully in Jesus. Heaven does not have some cash of some store of resource that is not fully embodied in the person of Jesus. So, so quite literally, like hear me. Like Jesus is the embodied presence of the kingdom of heaven. So, put differently. If I can remain in contact with Jesus, or better yet, if I can remain in the embrace of Jesus, I am in the grip of heaven at all times, every day, everywhere, in the oncology ward, at your sports team. At the movies, with your kids, with your girlfriends, on vacation, at the funeral home, with the new job, with the old job, if I can remain in the grip, in the presence of Jesus, there is nothing heaven has that is not already in him. I find the number one lesson I keep having to learn is that Jesus is the destination of my life. I remember in 2012, I had a dream uh, about being on a boat and that God was leading me into something, and not to be afraid, He's gonna bring me through it. And for months and months and months, I was like, I'm holding on to that promise, and about five months in, I was starting to get tired out. I'd been getting up early every morning, spending time with God, because we're gonna get through this time, right, Jesus? and. I remember like the first morning that I decided to not get up and spend time with the Lord. I just decided to sleep in and, and hear me. Sleeping in's fine. I've slept in lots since, but this was a special season. And I was sleeping and I heard an audible, pss, pss, like audible in my, in my room. I look over Melanie's sawing logs, <laughs> look around for a kid or a cat, nothing. And then I heard in my spirit Jesus say, I am the destination. I'm not asking you to endure a time or to just get through this. If you are with me, you are where you need to be. And that is true in every single season. In every season, he is the destination. Three questions you should ask yourself today, and I'll pray. One, do I have my treasures rightly prioritized? Are you valuing things that compare to the treasure of heaven? Like, come on, please. Have I stopped digging and looking for more? Come on, some of you old saints, it gets really easy to say, all right, I'm good. No, God's got more for you. There's more to know, more to discover, more to experience, more more life, more love, all that. He's got it for you. And am I looking in the right places? Jesus is the person of heaven i invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray scripture over you today as we end. I want to pray. Let's just all of our locations just receive this. This is our prayer. It's the prayer of Paul. And I just want us to like even open our hands to, to believe that Jesus would give this to us today. But I think this kind of says what Jesus in this parable was trying to accomplish. Let's just receive this. I pray... That out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ, the king of heaven, may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp Take hold of the treasure and grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever, a kingdom without end. And all God's people said, Amen. amen and amen. Amen.